We are going to just dive right in this morning. Um, this is week 10 of 12 in our current series called What We Believe, talking about the 12 foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. And so we're getting there. We have this week and then two more weeks, and then it's Advent, and it's Christmas. So um, I hope it's been encouraging. hope it's been beneficial that even if you've been walking in the Christian faith for decades, you're like, ah, oh, I needed to hear that. So um, just pray that God will speak to you this morning through, through this doctrine of sanctification. Sanctification, that is a really big, kind of a weird churchy word, right? Um, what in the world does sanctiva sanctification mean? Um, the big idea, and that's on your discussion cards there, is that sanctification is the gracious process by which the Spirit transforms believers into the likeness of Jesus. Okay, so last Sunday, Jason talked on the doctrine of justification. So we don't want to get those confused, right? They are different. Um, and I think in most Christian teaching, justification gets a whole lot of press, and it should, 100%. We should be talking about God's forgiveness, his atonement, his grace, the eternal hope of salvation for sinners. We should be talking about that every single week. We should be thinking about that every morning when we wake up. Um, we should be, you know, preaching that message to ourselves each and every day. It's a glorious truth. Praise God for it. And that should always be on the front burner. But I think what happens is oftentimes the church or believers will at times stop with justification and not continue on towards sanctification, right? Um, so we'll unpack that a little bit, but those two are linked. They're not um, fighting each other. They're not heading in different directions, but they are interlocked. They are, um, what, do you, what do you call when you're holding hands like this? Just the interlocking. It's the best one, right, with your spouse. Um, they're together. They're not separate. They're not competing, and they both have equal value. So I think sometimes what will happen is, is maybe in a church setting, the pastor would say something like, well, you know, that person, they prayed the sinner's prayer and they started tithing. So, so they're good. They're on the right track. We'll just, we'll just let them go. Um, things like that. Or a Christian might say to themselves, you know, my ticket is punched for eternity. Yes. So the rest of my life, however long that is, I can just live for me and, and my pleasure, my comfort, uh, because, you know, if I screw up, it doesn't really matter. God's grace covers it. God and I are cool. We're good. We're homies, right? Um, and so in that sense, you push sanctification onto the back burner, okay, um, for the sake of maybe saying you're keeping justification on the, on the front burner, so to say. Um, or sometimes I think it can be flip-flopped, and justification can be pushed back to the back burner, and sanctification to the front, where it's kind of like, um, it's understood wrongly as, you know, now that you're saved, here's this burden or here's this workspace system or this, um, a bunch of rules or, or duty that you have to now follow. And I think that's also equally dangerous. It's almost like it'd be like God's bait and switch. Like, um, yeah, salvation is a free gift. Here you go. Psych. Now here's all this stuff you have to do to keep your salvation right? You got to clean yourself up, make yourself look good, get to work, prove to me that the cross was worth it. That is not healthy. That is not biblical, right? Um, it'd be kind of like a child receiving a, let's just go with like a new Lego set. 
for, for Christmas or something like that. So he's just so excited. He got this free gift. He takes it home. He starts unwrapping it, starts putting the pieces together. And then the giver of that gift shows up the next day or whatever and looks at it. And he's like, hey, Johnny boy, whatever. You connected that piece to the wrong piece. Give it back. He picks it up, scoots it up, throws it in a box and runs off with it, right? Um, that would be cruel. That would be so manipulative, right? Because with Legos, it's trial and error. You're going to put pieces in the wrong spot and the giver should be like, keep going. It's your gift. You can do whatever you want with it. I don't care. Um, I do care, but um, there's grace in that, but it's yours. It's your gift. And I'm not going to manipulate it and try to control what you do with it. It's, it's yours. So it's not God's way of tricking or manipulating his beloved creation. So I think both of these are dangerous misunderstandings of, of sanctification and justification. And the Bible teaches that justification and sanctification are both equally good gifts of God's grace. Sometimes we hear justification, we're like, that's grace. Sanctification is get to work. But they're both equally good gifts of his grace. It's the gospel. Uh, Max Lucado, if you're familiar with, with that name, he he gave this quote a while back. He said, God loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. And I love that. I think that's the heart of justification and sanctification. He loves us so much that he wants something better for us than our old way of living. So sanctification is about life change and spiritual maturity that makes us look more like Jesus. It's like when we have a, a precious newborn, um, Lindy is now six months old, so it's still pretty fresh for us. Um, but when you have a newborn, they literally can't do anything but eat, sleep, and poop, and cry, right? That's what they do. And you look at them, and you're like, it's so precious, and they can't do anything. They're helpless, but they're adorable. But then over time, you expect that child to mature and to grow and um, to, to be able to say their first word eventually, learn to walk, eat solid foods, be potty trained. We just knocked that out with Audrey. So awesome when they become potty trained. What a gift. What a gift. Um, not easy getting there. Um, but then, you know, eventually they'll go to kindergarten and on and on and on. You hope they continue to grow, mature, learn, and, and all those types of things. Now, to use Audrey as an example again, um, she's not up here. Poor pastor's kid. She's just playing the nursery and her dad throws her under the bus. Um, but if, if you know Audrey, she's two and a half. And if you've seen her around the, the dinner table, you know that she is very picky, right? Um, if you know Audrey, um, her sweet spot is yogurt tubes. And what would you say, babe? Like mac and cheese, yogurt tubes and mac and cheese, maybe some grapes every now and then more grapes. She loves her grapes. Um, but that's basically what she loves. And that's it. I remember there was a time where, uh, where we spent probably close to an hour trying to get her to just take a little bite out of a little piece of hot dog. And it was like pulling teeth. We sat there and tried all these different tips and strategies. You know, Allie's doing her research, finding all the, the, the good ways to go about that, right? With the food training. And it was so difficult. It was testing our patience so much. And finally, after an hour, she nibbled off a corner of this hot dog her face kind of wet, and then she spit it out. And 
we were stoked. We celebrated her like she just won the lottery. Like it was an amazing day. Like we won. You know, it didn't even get into her belly. No value to her whatsoever. But she put it in her mouth and we were stoked parents. It was an awesome night. What's that? She does like hot dogs now. So she's matured. Yeah. Yeah. She's come a long ways. She has come a long ways. Um, she's up to like five or six foods now. So we're stoked. Um, but it's great. So, um, but in sanctification, God is encouraging and celebrating his children's spiritual maturity, who we are, our character. He's celebrating it. Yeah, we're going to mess up. We're going to have a hard times. It's going to be slow. Um, but God doesn't just want us to live on yogurt, mac and cheese and grapes our whole life when there's steak and potatoes, right? Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, there we go. God is always leading us to something better than what we think is best in the moment. That's what sanctification looks like. Uh, Paul David Tripp in the book, Do You Believe? He says, sanctification is the process by which God actually makes us what he has declared us to be in Christ. I love that. That's powerful. He, he has declared us in Christ righteous, and now he's making us righteous in our daily lives. It's kind of that weird thing with God where it's like, how do both of those work? But we're going to dive into that a little bit. Um, sanctification actually has a past, present, and future tense. So this is really, really cool to learn about this week. From scripture, here's a glimpse of what this looks like. So how was sanctifi sanctification at work in my past? Through faith in Christ, we are positionally righteous before Christ. Like we're standing before him righteous because of what God has done through Jesus on the cross and rising from the dead. Through faith in him, he saves us and says, you are holy, not because of anything you've done, but because of who I am. Because I am holy and I have imputed my holiness on you through faith, right? And so a couple scriptures here, Hebrews 10, 10 says, for God's will for us is to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Christ once and for all. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 11 says, some of you were like that. And this is referring to sinful practices in our past. Some of you were like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the spirit of our God. So if you have called upon the name of Christ in your life for salvation, you are holy. You are righteous before God today. That is an amazing thing. That's already happened. And so, um, you know, God accepts us not because we're holy, but because he has made you holy through Jesus. This destroys that whole argument that, you know, we can receive the free gift of grace, but then that can be taken away when we mess up as a follower of Jesus. We're going to mess up. God's not taking it away. It's ours. He already calls us his children, right? So that's sanctification in the past. How is sanctification at work in the present? This is a big one. This is oftentimes how I know growing up for me, this is how I understood the bulk of sanctification right here in the present. But this is the process in which God changes our hearts, our minds, our words and actions to look like Christ. Y'all, I wish we could just be perfected through faith right off the bat. Like belief, perfected, you never struggle, you're never tempted. Um, the suffering is gone, all these types of things. All the junk is gone. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. But everyone in this room knows 
that God is working on us. He's working in the daily mess of our heart. So Galatians 5, 16 through 17 says this. Listen to the language in this. I think Paul is just using these vivid imageries here. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you can see in there, this is battle language. This is, this is war, right? Um, the spirit and the flesh are going at each other every single second of human life. Every, every single second of existence, there is this battle going on. Um, if you're in youth group, you're, you're probably like, oh, we've heard this so much. We get it. Feed the dog, right? We've been going through this study. We're either feeding our flesh, our sinful nature, or we're feeding our spirit with, with truth and the riches of who God is. And so we're never neutral. We're either feeding one and starving the other. And, and it just depends on what we're feeding ourselves, right? And so none of us are living neutral lives. We're either growing towards Christ or we're living out of our sinful nature. Confession time. I fight this every single day. You probably resonate. I fight this every single day. The minute I wake up to the minute I go to bed, there are so many temptations. There are so many times where I want to act out of my flesh and do act out of my flesh. Just ask my wife. Um, yet I know God has forgiven me. I know my eternity is secure with him. And I also equally know that my heart is still a mess. I want to live for my comfort, my pleasure, my glory. But at the same time, in the middle of my mess, I also equally experience God's conviction. I experience his grace. I experience his truth, his correction in the middle of that. I, so I feel that battle. Like if I sometimes think like if anything shows me that scripture is God's living word, that's how it describes our sinful nature in, in relation to the flesh or in relation to the spirit nature within us. And I feel that battle so profoundly on a daily basis that I'm like, this has to be true. God's word is, is from God because I just relate so much with how it describes this battle. Um, but how are we so supposed to fight in this battle, right? How are we supposed to do this? Paul and Peter keep it really, really simple um, in these next few verses. So Peter says in, in 1 Peter 2.11, he says, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. And Paul in Colossians 3, 5 through 10, 5 and 10 says, so put to death the sinful earthly things living, earthly things lurking within you. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and to become like him. So a little illustration. Imagine if you were given a brand new home, beautiful in every way. You walk in the front door and you're going room to room, just examining the beauty. Every room you're like, oh my gosh, it has this too. You might be like, oh, vaulted ceilings. Oh my goodness. Um, there's shiplap walls. There's customized, you know, what do you call it? Um, uh, backsplash, things like that. The guys are like, there's a man cave in the basement. Let's go, right? So you're looking and everything is perfect. And like, what could, what could be any better than this? But then there's one giant problem that you come to find out. You're not living in that house alone. Someone else is occupying space in that house with you and your family. 
you find out that there is a deceitful and deadly killer living within the walls of your home, right? You won't often see him because he's oftentimes lurking in the shadows, maybe hiding in the storage room in the basement, uh, but he'll come out when you're gone or when you're sleeping, things like that. He's really good at, at hiding and being crafty in those ways. Every intention he has is to bring evil and destruction to you and your family. This is Satan. This is the enemy. Wouldn't you do everything in the power in your, in your power to get him out of the house? Like, oh no, you're getting out of here. I don't know what that looks like for you. Um, play that out in your minds how you do that, right? But uh, you never consider finding a way for this killer to live peacefully in your home. That's foolishness, right? You would do whatever you can to say, I'm coming for you. You're going down. You're going down, right? And so um, spiritually, I'm wondering how often we passively allow sin to continue its destructive work in our hearts. This ongoing sin is just like the killer in our hearts that wants to wreak havoc, wreak havoc, right? As Christians, we have to understand that sanctification is a death process. Like we are killing the sin that still remains in our hearts. Whatever it takes to remove sin in our lives, we got to see it for what it is and then go after it. Go after it. Kill it. Defeat it. Um, whatever it takes, we've got to, got to put it to death. And so a little bit of a transition here. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18 says this, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is a spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have been, who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Wow. This is one of those verses that, that I read and I just say, whoa, like this is crazy. One, we get to see the glory of God as humans, as sinful humans. Now we can't see him face to face yet, yet because if we saw God face to face, we would instantly fall to our face dead. We would drop because God is so holy. But God gives us glimpses of who he is through his word, through his spirit. And, uh, and we get to get to know God and his glory. But the second part is we get to reflect the glory of God, that God is wanting to make us into the glorious image of his son. That is crazy. That is crazy. That's humbling, right? Um, Remember how during the week of sin, we talked about how it destroys the image of God. Sanctification is God's work of restoring the image of God within us so that we reflect him so that we can be mirrors of his glory in this world. It's this whole idea of transformation. Um, notice what the key variable is in, uh, in that passage right there. What's our job in that? Gazing upon the glory of God rather than ourself. That's hard to do. That's the daily battle. Are we gazing upon God and who he is? Or are we so consumed with self that we don't experience freedom because we're still in bondage to self, right? The whole idea of sanctification is, and justification too, is God rescuing us, not from Satan, but from self. Like we are through our sinful nature, drawn and enticed by Satan to do all of these sinful things. 
but it comes down to our heart. Our sinful nature is the problem here. And only when we see and meditate upon God and his glory, can we be set free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Not where the spirit of Drew is, that leads to bondage. Where the spirit of the Lord is, is where there's freedom. We're changed little by little, day by day, meditating on who God is. Okay, so how will sanctification be at work in my future? When our earthly life ends and we do see God face to face, it's going to be an amazing time. We will be made completely and fully holy. Holy, holy, that's kind of cool. Um, forever. And so Philippians 1.6 says it this way. Paul says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I think this truth allows us to breathe, breathe a little bit easier, right? Because yeah, we have a role to play, but really this is God's work and he is going to finish his work that he started in us. He's really good at what he does. You know, it's not this, it's not this stressful idea that, you know, even when we die, we're going to have to continue to progress and keep working and exalting for eternity. When Christ returns or we see him face to face, like it is finished. We are made completely and finally holy into the image of God as he originally designed. So yes, life in this fallen world is really, really hard. Fighting our sinful nature in a deceptive world takes a whole lot of work, right? But in the end, the God who saved you is the same God who promises to finish his work of sanctification in us. We have this role as kind of like co-laborer with God. Like he's doing the work, like he's driving this ship, right? But do we get on board with what he's doing, right? Um, he never fails. He never breaks a promise. He never grows weary in sanctifying his children into his likeness. Okay, so that was an overview, big overview. Sorry, that was a lot of what sanctification is, why it's important and all these things. But I think it's important to see how God wants to do this in us on a more practical everyday level. How is God sanctifying his people? So I think from scripture, you know, this is not exhaustive by any means, but six key and primary tools that God uses in our process of sanctification. And so we're going to go through those quickly one by one. Um, each of these are a whole sermon in themselves. So um, we're going to go quick. We're going to move through them. Um, but when I say tools, think tools, think like sledgehammers, chop saws, nail guns, drills, pliers, levels, wrenches, on and on. All of these tools, right? Um, these are things that God is using for like demo work in our heart. He's using these things for, um, for new construction, for new builds, for custom work, for um, the finished work, right? God is, is demoing and building us up into who he wants us to be. And so number one, the first tool of God's sanctification is grace. We talked about that at the beginning a little bit, but the process of being sanctified requires as much grace as our salvation does. And so what do I mean by that? Um, on a daily basis, God's grace is the power that is fueling us to become more and more like Jesus. Just like we can't come to God righteous, we can't make ourselves righteous on our own. Um, every single area of our character and lives should be touched by the grace of Jesus. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, the results of them, not earn it, but show the results of it, obeying God with a deep reverence and fear, 
For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So yes, we're called to an act of obedience. It's like, let's go. Like we're called to obey, but we can't do it on our own. If we don't have God's grace empowering us on a daily basis, we won't seek God. We just won't. So even in those moments where we fail, um, should we throw in the towel? No, because God's grace says, I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to mess up. Get up, keep going. Your grace, my grace for you is, is powerful. So don't let your failures keep you from continuing to get up and keep walking with me, right? And so that's number one. Number two is, this one might surprise some of you. It kind of surprised me when I was studying it. It's the law. It's kind of like, how can grace and the law both be working together aren't those contrary, like old system, um, new system, old covenant, new covenant, that type of thing. How do we go from grace to law so quickly? Um, but I love how Paul David Tripp explained this. He, he basically said, sanctification is the place where you see God's law and grace working perfectly in unison, in harmony. Um, remember when God gave the law to Moses in, in Exodus, it was given as a gift of grace. He says, you know, Israel, because I love you so very, very much, here's a roadmap. Here's the boundaries of how to live in peaceful relationships with, with God and each other. Um, and Romans 7, we won't read it, but if you have time, read Romans 7, specifically the middle part of that chapter, because it, it talks about even when Jesus has come and brought the gospel to us, the law still has incredible value. Because yes, Christ fulfilled it for us, but at the same time, the law functions as a tool in showing us what sin is and where it's hiding in our hearts. It's like the lights and the mirrors in the house that, that shines, uh, sheds light or, or vision to where Satan is hiding and where that sin still remains in our house, right? In our, in our hearts. And so um, in order to be sanctified more like Jesus, we have to see clearly our sin and to know what God is calling us to. Um, and so let me know if you have questions on that. That, that, that would be an easy one to, or a, a fun one, not an easy one. Um, maybe a chewy one to, to chew on together at connect group this week, but um, how does law and grace both work into this? Um, but it's a gift of God's grace. It's purposeful. It's useful, even though we aren't saved or made righteous through it. Right. Okay. So number three is patience. Patience. We all love it, right? We love it. Let's be honest. We don't enjoy waiting. You know, everything from, from stop and go traffic to waiting in line at the grocery store to um, <laughs> customer service calls being put on hold. That might be the worst. That is brutal. Uh, maybe it's the spin wheel of death or the pinwheel of death or whatever on your, on your computer. Um, oftentimes it can be like, God, I know what you're trying to do here and working on my patience. I don't care about my character right now. I just want faster Wi-Fi, right? Come on. Like, let's just, let's just get this and move on. Um, we don't like waiting. And I think so often of our anxiousness and our um, anger being rushed, over busy, over controlling comes from because we want what we want, when we want it, how we want it, right? And we don't like it if there's any other way to that. We want to be in control. Um, but in sanctification, God invites us to wait. He invites us to the process. He invites us not to just receive instant gratification, just get what we want and keep going. He invites us to surrender more than he does to be in control. 
Trusting God in the slow, mundane, and uncertain times is a vital tool in us becoming more and more like Jesus. Number four is church. Church. Church is the body of Christ. So God's best work of sanctification doesn't happen in isolation. It happens in community. Um, Ryan, Ryan and I were talking about this this morning, um, just about how beautiful it is when we can get together, sharpen each other around God's word, worship, serve, live on mission together as a family. Um, and if you want to know a little secret, every single church in the world is imperfect. <laughs> Shocker, I know. Um, if you thought Greenhouse would maybe be the, the one, no, I'm sorry, we're not. We're a mess. We're messy at times. Um, why is that? Because we're all here, right? A hundred percent of us are in the middle of this messy sanctification process. We're all on our journey, right? So it's going to be messy, but I want to encourage you with this. Don't let that discourage you. Don't let that discourage you. Um, let this be a reason to dig even deeper in with your church family through the struggles, through the questions, through the, um, through the moments of celebration. Let's encourage one another and cheer each other on, but also carry each other's burdens, build one another up um, through the hard times, work through our struggles. God wants to use each and every one of us for the people sitting around you to be part of the sanctification journey. That's why he created his church and his bride. Okay. Number five is relationships. Ah, is there anything messier than a sinner living next to another sinner? <laughs> oh, marriage, parenting, friendships, neighbors, coworkers, not to mention your in-laws, right? Holidays are coming up. We're going to have Thanksgiving. We're going to have Christmas. You know how that goes with in-laws. Things get messy, right? Um, you can all just start thinking of faces in your life. Um, nothing has revealed my selfishness more than my marriage and parenting. Uh, you know, I thought I was, you know, a pretty selfless guy until I got married to my lovely wife, Allie. And it's all me. It's not you, babe. Um, but it just revealed right off the bat, like, I want this. She wants this. How do we communicate about this and work towards a solution here? And I just realized like I was way more controlling, way more impatient, way more selfish with my time than I ever thought I was prior to getting married. That even multiplied at least by two with, uh, with, par with uh, parenting, right? Um, but relationships are such a uh, crucial tool of God's sanctification process, right? Usually the hardest battles are with the ones that we love and are closest with. Like that's how it works. God uses those relationships to grow us closer to Jesus. What, sometimes I ask myself the question, like, God, couldn't you have just fully sanctified us before you gave us these relationships, before marriage, before parenting? That would mean it'd be so perfect, perfect peace. But isn't that the point? God's agenda page is not our happiness, it's our holiness. And so these relationships are huge tools that God gives us people in our life that may be hard to, hard to love at times or hard to be around, or you just love them so much that you go at it, right? God has them in your life for a reason. So don't push these people away. He wants to use them to grow you. No, that's hard. Number six, difficulty. Also really, really tough, right? Um, have you ever heard someone say, you know, these last three years have been the happiest of my life. I learned so much and became such a better person more than any other time in my life. 
halo over their head. That doesn't happen, right? That doesn't happen. Difficulty and suffering is often God's way of getting our attention. I know there's difficulty and suffering in this room right now. Lots of it. It requires that we ask the hard questions. It requires that we are drawn to dependence on God. It brings transformation in our heart in ways that we couldn't experience if things were just going easy. Um, If we need any proof of this, just remember the cross, right? God is able to bring the very best things out of the very worst things that this world has ever seen. Savior died, but then he rose. And that's why we have life, life from death, right? Joy out of suffering. Paul David Tripp, I love this quote. This is on the back of your discussion card. He says, we cannot long for redeeming grace and curse difficulty at the same time. That's like hiring someone to build you a house and then requiring him to leave his tools at home. <laughs> right? Oh, man. Yes. Sorry, a lot of, a lot of home building illustrations this morning. But yes, if we want God uh, to do his work in us, we got to let him use whatever he wants to use. So I think with the pain and difficulty, let's not dismiss the pain and difficulty, right? Like call it what it is. It sucks and it's hard, but let's not also dismiss the necessity of it in our life as well. Um, And then number seven, the last one here is personal worship. And so this is not to mean that daily devotionals, you know, if we do 365 days out of the year of Paul David Tripp's New Morning Mercies, now that's a magic bullet to avoiding pain and trouble. And your sanctification process is pretty well complete. No, not at all. But what, what does this does, what this does do is things like worship, Bible study, prayer, solitude, things like that. It alters the way we journey through these difficulties in our lives. Um, they allow us to stay grounded in God's promises and comforted by his presence. John 17, 17 says, Jesus prayed this right before he was, was going to be arrested. He says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. All right. We need God's word. We need his truth to help us to know what is true. The Bible is God's heart and will for our lives. We have to be in God's word in order to be sanctified. Right. Um, So those are seven tools God uses to make us more like Jesus. But each and every one of these seven tools aren't useful, worth anything on their own. They aren't. They aren't. It's like, you know, you have, you have your hammer, you have your screwdrivers, you have your, your chop saw or whatever. Those aren't doing anything on their own. You need a skillful carpenter to put those into practice, right? You know where I'm going with this. The person that brings all these tools to the table is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the skillful carpenter who knows exactly what tools to use, when to use them, how to best utilize them for us becoming more like Jesus. The Spirit convicts us, counsels us, counsels us, comforts us, renews us, reminds us, teaches us, empowers us, and so much more. Sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit as like the, the creepy uncle that we don't want to talk about. It's like, we don't know. It's kind of mysterious. Like, what are we talking about here? God and Jesus, I'm good, but Spirit, eh. The spirit, guys, we've got to not get weird in our relationship with the spirit, right? Can go a little haywire. But the spirit is God's loving um, hand of correction, sanctification, comfort, encouragement, counsel in our lives. We have to continue to, 
to listen and slow down to hear the spirit, right? And so um, conclusion, where do we land this plane? And we've talked a lot about God's work in sanctification. We've talked a lot about all the tools that he utilizes to sanctify us. But what exactly is our job? Right, do we leave here just like, oh, I don't really have an application. I think our job in this whole process, we could sum it up very simply in one word, surrender. <laughs> we talked about this at men's group on Friday. Um, surrender doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean you're lazy. It doesn't mean passivity. Surrender is active. It's trusting God that um, as you're moving forward in obedience, like God, you're leading me here. I'm getting on board with what you're doing. You're surrendering to his plan. It's saying, God, the only reason I have life is because of you. Because you are good, I trust you to take these tools and use them to chisel me, mold me, shape me, and design me into who you want me to be. Because you know best. You know best. So I think the question I want us to just wrestle with um, today, this week, in connect groups um, what do we need to surrender? What is God calling us to lay down, to give up, to trust him with? You know, many of us have been on this journey of sanctification for years and decades and others of us might not be quite there just starting out. And what's crazy is that, you know, if, if you feel your pulse right now, you have a pulse, God's in the middle of your sanctification journey. Like you have breath, he's working on you and he's not done with you yet. And that's encouraging because if you know your heart, you, you want God to continue to do his good work to help us to be more like Jesus. And so just as we wrap up here, um, I think scripture wants to leave us with this encouragement today. Um, this isn't, this is my translation of it, but um, God is trying to tell us, I believe that I know it's hard. I know this world is hard. I know it's painful. I know it takes time. It's a slow process, but keep going, keep surrendering. I know exactly what I'm doing and it will all be worth it in the end. Let's live with that hope this week. God will finish the good work that he started in each and every one of us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so very much for being an active God. You're not a God who just saved us 2,000 years ago so that we can exist and then pass on to be with you someday, but you're a God who loves us so much that you want to transform us, change us, conform us back into the perfect image that you created us in. God, this is difficult. We just want to acknowledge the pain in this, the, that getting chiseled away with, uh, with a tool, that being um, having parts of us maybe cut away is, is really tough and really painful at times, God. And I pray that if there's those in this room this morning that are like, that's me, that's me in the middle of that battle, God, that you would reassure them that you're doing a good work in them, that you're doing it because you love them and have great plans coming out of it. God, you care more about the end result. You care about who we become. You care about the journey. You care about the process. You care about our hearts. Putting, putting the death, the sin that's still within us and being made new. So God, may your spirit do this. May your spirit do this in each of us. We are weak. We're broken. 
So we surrender to you to do what you want to do in us. You know that you're faithful, so we give this all to you. In your name, amen.